I'm Gigi Johnson, and this is Amplify Music Conversations, where we captured the voices and music panels from the Amplify Music 2021 virtual conference. Over the course of the panels, you'll hear more than 100 panelists from a wide variety of cities and countries, each working in their local communities to recover from the challenges and changes of the pandemic. You'll hear about new community models, collaborations, and ways of organizing, each recovering and transforming their own music environment. Good morning, good afternoon, and or good evening to everyone who is joining us here. Uh, This has been a great conference. Uh, I've learned so much from all of the different panels. And then um, I find myself here with these great folks with super interesting backgrounds. And so I hope you enjoy the next moments as we get a chance to chat. I've asked these folks to let me give a quick introduction of each of them, and then we'll get them talking. Um, So to start us off, Merlane Pullman started his career organizing metal shows and tours. He has been a cultural ambassador to China, including organizing the Yin Yang Music Festival there that took place at the Great Wall. He currently serves as a night mayor, now not nightmare, but night mayor in the town of Groningen, Holland, where his role is to form a link between the government, the club venue owners, and the party people. That's his words. Uh, Merlane enjoys straddling the balance between the formal policymakers and the raw underground music culture, a rare person indeed who can bridge that gap. His favorite quote is, a good idea is formed with a beer at night and worked out with a coffee during the day. So, Merlane, welcome. Here. Hi there. Yeah, glad to be here. It's already uh, 10.30 here, so if you don't mind, I have a drink with me. But um, thanks so much uh, for the summary. So, yeah, you asked me to give a description in one minute how I got into my work, right? Uh, we'll do that after I introduce everybody. We'll bring ah, them okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thanks uh, so much for the invitation. Happy to be here. So, Nurit Smith is a social sector executive and creative strategist dedicated to improving and advancing organizations that positively impact the world around us. She's been involved in many arts and entertainment nonprofits, exploring the intersection of education, performance, philanthropy, and advocacy. She currently serves as executive director of the Music Forward Foundation an organization that provides underserved youth access to music business education and professional opportunities to help build a more inclusive music industry. Such important work, Nuri. Uh, Thank you for being involved in that. And we're glad to have you with us. Jim Peters is the founder and president of the Responsible Hospitality Institute, or RHI and oversees the development of programs, publications, and events for that organization. As a consultant for dozens of cities and speakers at conferences worldwide, Jim offers comprehensive insights on trends and effective strategies on managing hospitality zones and nighttime economies. His early background includes management of a music venue in New York City at the height of the disco era. We thank you for that important work too, Jim. How would we ever have gotten through without disco? Then we have Matthew, uh, Matthew Cowell uh, joining us. Uh, I can tell from reading his bio that he is an entrepreneur and self-starter. 
is co-founded the Headwaters uh, Protectors Mutual Aid Group and the Arts and Events Community Resilience Corps. He has organized, get this, over 100 music festivals. I don't know where you have the energy for that or even the years to have done it, Matthew. And is currently, uh, let's see, well, important to say that those music festivals raised over $5 million for community organizations. Matthew is currently co-founder and president of Majestic Collaborations, an organization that helps others develop emergency action, business continuity, and disaster response plans. So, Matthew, you had this whole pandemic all planned out, right? Yeah, we just planned on this. It's like uh, Churchill said, never waste a good disaster. So we're just like a roofing company that caused the hailstorm. Okay, well, we will certainly get into that. Now I want to switch it over and we'll go in that same order and ask these folks, because I know there are some students uh, listening in today. Would you, in one minute or less, tell us your educational background and how you got interested in a career in and around the music industry? I always wanted to study history, but then I found out, no, it's better to do a music study without any job guarantee. So I went to the Academy for Popular Music. And in the second year, um, I learned about that you could, in the Netherlands, it's quite nice, that you can get some funding to tour abroad. So I set up uh, a tour for my metal band in South America and started a foundation of music exports. And from then on, helped out other artists uh, to tour the world from singer-songwriters to techno DJs. And then to finish the study, we started a nightclub yeah, with three and a half thousand euro from all my study savings. So it was a crazy adventure. I was 23 with two other guys. And of course, at a certain moment, uh, after some few, six, yeah, in 2017, it was over and I was nearly bankrupt. But then uh, in the meantime, I founded the company to make Chinese social media profiles for Western artists. So that pays the bills now. And uh, in the meantime, in 2018, I became the night mayor because I was always interested into the one side of the policy making, like the formal talks and seeing how the daytime life goes and uh, standing for the values of the night as the night is inspiration for the day and bringing these worlds together. So before COVID, I was traveling the world to talk about the free curfew times because in Groningen, we don't have a curfew since the 80s already. And therefore, it's always safe in the street because there's always people, there's room for music, and there's more beer being sold. And out of that, uh, Eurosonic Nordeslag Showcase Festival, that's a bit like South by Southwest, came out of that. So the evangelism of free curfew times is something I'm always uh, spreading. And um, yeah, and we now have... Uh, Cosimo Foundation, which is part of this topic, I guess, where we try to link cultural projects and the business world and making sure that cultural projects can happen. So that's in a nutshell uh, my little story. Very good. Very interesting. Nareed? Well, I didn't go the music route, but I did get a degree in dance. So it's just got these great options out there uh, in, 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 in jobs. Um, both dance and theater degrees uh, from UC Berkeley. I thought that was enough credit to, to put me in a band for a few years. But I think anybody who is pulled by the creative sector will find different ways to enter it. I think so many, and I see so many people inside of the music industry who multi-hyphenated, right? Um, I do this and I do this and I do this. And so I booked artists, I presented artists. I was, you know, I, I was, was a musician for uh, a handful of years, um, uh, running around clubs. Um, but, you know, I have to say that it is the 
connection with uh, the community. It is the connection with uh, fellow artists, and it is the the impact of the the work um, that that indescribable thing that pulls us uh, into uh, art and and sparks our imagination and our humanity uh, that pulled me into uh, this world and and running music forward is is just I think the great amalgamation of that intersection of the work that I love to uh, do that I am passionate about with arts and education and philanthropy that's how I'm here today and Jim how did you get from disco to where you are now yes my life began on Long Island in New York and uh, I went to college and studied engineering but then got into the bartending world and I was involved in helping to open up and manage a music uh, DJ-driven uh, uh, venue in 1972. That was when there was vinyl and DJs played vinyl. From there, I went on into the food service industry. I, I, I went on to open up a restaurant myself in Pittsburgh and later went and got my degree in hotel restaurant administration. Uh, studying counseling for a master's degree, I got involved in, in counseling people arrested for drunk driving. And so that's how I really began to focus on helping people who work in the industry to be more engaged and responsible in the safety of their patrons. But over the years, I've uh, evolved and, and developed a Responsible Hospitality Institute, where now we work with cities and helping them to plan their nightlife. And so we've worked with over 80 North American cities. And also I've worked with Merrick Milan, I know uh, uh, original nightmare in, uh, in Dublin. Uh, but in all of these experiences, the one thing that I know is that music is the heartbeat of sociability. And life is about sociability and building relationships through dining, drinking, dancing, and music. And so... Uh, through all of the work, I've been actively engaged in helping to create those spaces for people to socialize, where they have access to music, whether it be live or recorded, but also that they are in venues that are properly managed and safe and prevent problems within the community. Yeah, and it, it's well beyond just music making. It's it's health making in there. Uh, Matthew. Um, my uh, background was I started pre-med. I did my EMT work and then started studying at University of Colorado Denver to do pre-med and then uh, moved to recording arts there and have uh, been a teacher. And I worked in an experiential education public school for a long time and really appreciate that kind of hands-on learning places uh, that people can exchange information. And that really informed a lot of the work I did as a festival producer. So I started with New Belgium Brewing Company. That was an employee-owned woman CEO brewery in Fort Collins, Colorado. And it was run by um, a very collaborative decision-making process. And I had started as a performer. I was in a band, sold a few thousand records back in the day. And it's kind of same era as Nathaniel Rateliff. And those guys used to open for the reels, my band. And really appreciated that. But then as I uh, got this good job with benefits at the brewery throwing these festivals... I was like, this is this is good stuff. So we threw festivals between five and twenty-five thousand people about fifteen a year for about ten years. So we would go into cities and partner with nonprofits. They were bicycle nonprofits, uh, and the idea was: I know I grew up as a Quaker peace activist, go out there and change the world, kind of thing. And 
Mother Teresa's saying was, I'd, I'd rather go to a, pre, a pro-peace rally than an anti-war rally. And that kind of changed for me what I thought this bicycle advocacy approach could be. So at any rate, long story short, we raised $5 million with nonprofit partners, up to 200 volunteers per event. And then as that drew to a close, my wife and I were at, uh, in 2016, uh, the company sold uh, or you know uh, rearranged and uh, was at Standing Rock and recognized that the trainings I'd done in crowd control, um, emergency electrical systems, we built solar systems on three of our semis that toured the country starting 15 years ago with three-phase power, three-stream recycling, and you know that sort of stuff. We were very lucky to be ahead of the curve on that sort of thing. And when I saw at Standing Rock, 15,000 people out in the cold and protesting that pipeline, it looked a lot like a power damaged city. It looked a lot like a refugee camp and it looked a lot like a music festival. And that was the beginning of the Art of Mass Gatherings program where we said, all right, event producers, you've been making temporary cities. What skills do you have to share with FEMA and other emergency preparedness folks that could help us have more trauma-informed and intelligent approaches to cities undergoing massive change? So... COVID has been a time uh, I've been taking courses through FEMA on, you know, community resilience and crowd management. And I've got a certification in event electric power. And I think there's a lot of folks out there like me who have a background in organizing people that want to have their sunny day job being throwing festivals and their stormy day job being more integrated with cities in their, their emergency planning. So we're looking forward to ARPA stuff. And if I have a chance later, I do think we should all recognize that there's been a lot of money dedicated to states to do recovery work and that the faster we can arrange for those things to go to the work we've been doing, we've been cutting up one turn of 10 ways and a wheelbarrow is about to get turned over. So what are we going to do about it? For sure. Um, okay. So I have a multi-part question here, which means you can answer any part of this question that you want to take on. And Nareed, I'm going to give you fair warning. You'll be first up on this one because uh, I suspect you'll have something to say about it. So here's my question. Do you think we've lost artists, venues, concert promoters, and young people with interest in this industry? How do we get them back? Has this disruption of this magnitude permanently damaged the infrastructure in this field? So Nareed, multi-part, any part of that you want to take, especially getting young people involved, maybe? Right. Well, one thing that I can bring into the conversation, too, is for the past year, um, my organization has been managing the Crew Nation Fund, which has been, uh, we've uh, almost 15 million gifted to uh, crew members, festival, touring, and um, venue crew members. And so being sort of at that front line also of watching people um, and hearing the notes and seeing what's been happening from their perspective as well. You know, we know we've lost a lot of really talented people who went out to find other full-time jobs. We know that for sure. And I think that we've all heard the word grief inside of the music industry this past year on a, on a number of different levels. I think we've also seen opportunity. Um, whether it is even uh, with what you were um, saying, Matthew, in terms of uh, coming back in a more resilient way, in a healthier way, and, and putting the trainings as part of, of how we're getting back into, um, into the, the work in the world. You know, I, I, we also know we've got incredible people in this industry who love their work, and I don't think that will ever change. And I, we know that people are excited to get back. Uh, to work as soon as they can. Sure, to Kim, to, to your point, I'm 
excited about the opportunity for this next diverse, ready, skilled workforce to come in um, as well and the opportunity that that brings. The hiring that is happening right now and how we do it through a DEI process, how we bring access um, to all of the folks that didn't have it prior uh, I'm excited about the the opportunity and the renewal of this industry in coming out of this um, last year. Nareet, I think that that really sums it up. There's a lot of potential there. And what we've all learned through this grief, I think, is that there's a lot of resilience that is yet to be built there. The, 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 the economic um, upcoming crisis there after we're off the methadone of this money that's getting infused there, there's going to be some DTs. And the model that Music City's programs have used in the past about let's get more artists to learn how to do, you know, the, their licensing and things like that to, to earn a middle class income. I think America has, is coming out with a naked lunch about fame worship that landed us with the president that we had and that we need to kind of start understanding the much more everyday use of the arts in everybody's life and that that is something I think we're seeing of a democratization of the arts for everyone all the time. And I really could not agree more with Nareet that these folks that are putting together events and throwing cord and figuring out how to do fence lines and safety plans, these are exactly the kind of people we want. If we were after a wildfire, seeing thousands of people gather, that sort of work is what we're really excited to help do a WPA level project that says, all right, let's do retraining, redeployment. Let's take experts like Event Safety Alliance folks, Steve Edelman and that whole crew, wonderful folks. I think that's that's just exciting as heck to me is not just get back to selling tickets to make people famous. That's great. And what else are the arts good for? Absolutely. Uh, Merlene and Jim, I'm going to send a slightly different question your way. Um, what about our audiences? Do you see that our audiences, do you think if we build it, they will come? Or is it going to take more than that to get people back into the venues? Uh, no, I definitely think uh, they might even be more appreciating it more than before. Especially, for instance, in the Netherlands, uh, we're quite spoiled. And when I had my club uh, before 1 a.m., there wouldn't be that many people in the city in general. But I know for now, when we can have events again, at 11 sharp when we open, it will be full. So in a way, people now will recognize what they took for granted for so long, I hope. But I also really think that. And yeah, also uh, looking on the question before, I think we also, in a way, lost a lot of wannabes, which is fine because there was a lot of DJs, for instance, that could count to four, but didn't have so much to bring. And the real artists still stay in the game and are still producing music. So how sad it is because I see so many tragic stories around me, but the real musicians and the people with the passion, they keep on going because it's their mission. That's how I see it. I think there's a lot of work and preparation uh, when you're looking at a large uh, venue. I'm less festival-oriented and more venue-oriented. So when you look at uh, larger venues, there could be staff upwards of 30, 40, 50, 60 people if they have food service, even more. So you've got security bartenders, you've got service staff, you've got maintenance staff. There's a whole mix of people. And, and in a good managed venue, they become like a family and there's a good communication among all them. And that's what establishes trust among the patrons, that when they come in, they see that there's an organized system and, and the staff seem all in sync with each other to create the best environment. So 
when people walk into a venue, if that staff isn't properly trained and developed and all the safety and security procedures that are going to be necessary to overcome hesitancy of people to interact in large uh, capacity venues, then people will be less likely to want to come back into those venues. So I think it's a two-stage process. One is you got to really work to rebuild the family. Uh, like somebody said before, some of these people have gone off and found other jobs. And so you might be bringing in new people and you have to get them oriented in security and alcohol service and food safety and sexual harassment prevention and all those things that are necessary uh, and have it work as a smooth system before the uh, venue can be welcoming and make people feel like this is a safe place to be. And it's going to be interesting um, when different states, well, different cities of different states, uh, different countries are all opening up at different times. And it'll be interesting to see how that affects people. Yeah, just um, one final point on that, if I can. And talking with venue operators, in terms of just bringing back live music and bringing back touring groups, most of them don't see that happening until 2022. Because if you have different cities in different states that have different policies and regulations, creating a touring schedule for most live music uh, performers, it may, may inhibit them from setting those tours up until it's a more level playing field among all the cities and states. Absolutely. Yeah. Just crazy. Um, okay. I got the five minute warning. So I'm going to skip to the last question, which is probably the hardest. It's crystal ball time here, which of course nobody wants to do, but we all want you to do that because we want to know where we're going. So one year from now, or maybe especially after Jim's last comment, maybe two or three or 10 years from now, will things be back to the way they were in the good old days? Uh, do you think collectively that we will have a short memory or will the live event space be forever changed? And if so, what are you most excited about with those changes? You know, I, I don't think everybody will say it was good old days, Kim. So I, I think that um, as, as a bunch of us, I mean, I think all of us have touched on is over this past year, we've done a lot of introspection. I think we've, we've had, we've, we've sat on, I know a number of us have sat on a number of task forces and a number of committee meetings and trying to figure out how, how do we build a, a healthier a more inclusive uh, industry as we walk back into this, um, into our world. You know, I, I think that, I, I, I hope actually it changes forever. I hope that we don't flip right back and snap back to what it used to be, because that's what we know. Uh, I hope we lead with more heart and not just with my mind and muscle. Um, I think that the word empathy has certainly come up a number of times over this past year. And I think that we all want to um, uh, build more empathetic crews and more empathetic venues. So there is a, a code of conduct for uh, venues that audiences feel comfortable walking in. And I hope we develop these partnerships. You know, I hope we develop collaborations that one plus one equals three, um, that community and neighborhoods and, and, and the creative economy are, are working symbiotically and, and, and with, with policy and with government. So I have, I have big rainbow visions uh, for the future. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, this period, even the people that are not so involved with music and nightlife and everything, 
see the importance of for society, for inclusion, for safety, for economics. So I hope this period just boosts things in a positive way. So I'm full on with Nurit, uh, a positive in this, and that we get out 10 times better and that we look to this period like, ah, we might have needed that. I think what we'll see is a real focus on localism and local small venues tapping into local talent, uh, maybe on a regional level where the performers can do a day trip rather than having to, you know, go city to city. So I think you'll see a lot more exciting local venues that are creating the opportunities for emerging artists uh, for the time when the larger opportunities grow. Nareet, I love that message you had there. And that's it. You know, this year we sure should have learned a lot about how to rebuild things with accessibility and equity from the start. That's a hard thing to add after you've already built a machine. Sometimes you got to break it down to start it right. So let's do that. And um, I, I think the local uh, stuff is definitely growing. And then also there's an international ability for us all to reach out more than we ever did. So that's wonderful. I saw a lot of musicians and artists coming out and doing waste and water services for the homeless in Denver that there was a pandemic that showed us that there was a crisis already there. So there's a lot of those going on. This is a great time, as Biden said, let's build back better. Um, whether Beyond politics, that's true. Let's build back better. Thank you to my panelists. Wonderful work. Uh, thank you for all that you do for our music communities. And we'll keep our fingers crossed that all of your predictions come true. Well, thanks for listening to Amplify Music Conversations. We hope you enjoyed this discussion and come back to listen to our other podcast episodes, either following us in your favorite podcast player or at amplifymusic.org or even on YouTube. And you can find a way to sign up for our email list and join our various groups on Facebook and on LinkedIn. We'd like to thank the Institute of International Business at the University of Colorado, Denver, who sponsors this podcast series, as well as the conference sponsors, Mia, UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music, the Creative Arkansas Community Hub and Exchange, Ben Zugel, Tully, and Lyric Find. We've had great support putting this conference together this year, and we look forward to continuing these conversations with you through this podcast. Thanks for listening. You have found one of our adventures now in the Marimel Podcast Network. You can find our shows everywhere that you listen to podcasts. We've got Amplify Music Conversations from the Amplify Music Conferences during the pandemic, Creative Innovators, and now Innovating Music. If you're interested in following up with us in any of these shows, please reach out on our websites, and you can find those in the show notes.